tried to picture clusters of information as they moved through the computer. What did they look like? Ships, motorcycles. Were the circuits like freeways? I kept dreaming of a world I thought I'd never see. And then, one day, I got in. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Michael Miller, and it is very good to be here tonight, this lovely, cloudy Monday night, and I say lovely because it is above 40 degrees in downtown Palmer, <laughs> and that makes all of us very, very happy. Paul, how are you? I'm good. Enjoying the, the evening light also. I know. That's exactly right. We're finally hitting that time of year when daytime totally outnumbers the hours yeah. of day- nighttime. It's unbelievably energetic would be the right word. Even on a cloudy evening, it's still light. That's exactly right. So that is our good news of the day. Our our darker... It's downhill from here on uh, in. Unfortunately, that's just how things always go. Yep. Sorry, guys. Mm -hmm. But you've come to expect this. You've come to expect things going just a little bit worse than perhaps they should. Or you, you could have even imagined. Paul... Why would you want to be a hacker? Um, well, that's that's a stretch. I guess really that, I, because I don't think it's a, after reading this bit of news, it's not a stretch for me. No, I, I I wouldn't want to get money that way, but I can understand the the excitement of it, and well, I think okay. maybe that draws some people to it. But, but removing all moral prerogatives, you can see the attraction, perhaps. It depends on your motivation. I think that's true. The universal attraction you would can't be hack excitement. Beer, is what you're saying? Yeah. Well, you got a point there. <laughs> so at least that's my motivation. So apparently, and this is the headline people have been using: hackers managed to hack unlimited. This is in quotes. Amounts of cash from banks in mm-hmm. just a few hours. Now, unlimited needs to put in, in quotes here for a reason, but it's basically true. And the reason is is that a, a group of hackers, a very sophisticated, very organized group of hackers, managed to compromise the security of several large banks within the United States. Mm-hmm. And they then removed the limits. They got back-end access. They didn't get access to someone's account personally. It's not like you have an account with First National Bank and they cracked into your account. They went to the source. They actually went to the source. They got administrative access to people's accounts, and they removed the limits from their debit cards. Yeah. Yeah, the the debit cards are frequently used in businesses or by nonprofits as a way of paying for things. But they, they got access to these cards and cloned them and removed the limits. And then here's the really interesting twist. Mm -hmm. They sent cloned cards out to people all over the place, all over the world. Yeah, I guess they're calling them the caching crews. Yeah. Which had a caching crew. It's not fully explained here, and maybe it's not completely known. But anyway, uh, a great number of people um, in like 20 countries back in December uh, did 4,500 ATM track transactions. That is really impressive. I guess in a matter of hours, yeah. two yeah. separate occasions, they managed to withdraw about $2.8 million from New York City ATMs alone, yeah. not even the other countries where this was happening. Right. Which is incredible. It's it, clever. It is. It is very impressive. And uh, there again, I think that's part of the attraction is, you know, you've got some very bright people um, that have not... 
chosen to, to channel their their intelligence in, in ways that are productive. So no, and particularly noting that they have in fact been caught. Well, at least they've been accused. Federal authorities have accused eight men in this particular yeah. incident. So either they've got the wrong eight men or crime did not pay, again, no matter how easy the crime was. Well, if they're convicted, they're facing a maximum sentence of 10 years in prison. That, uh, yep, absolutely not worth it. Although it's worth noting that I have talked to people in the industry who have said that there are a great many incidences that are much smaller that simply go unreported. Mm. Insurance covers it. It's all done. They block the hole, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And it's not necessarily just hacking. Hacking, of course, given the context of the show, is great to talk about. But fraud in general, whether it's hacking, which absolutely is part of it, and fraud in general, my understanding is that there are many people who abscond with tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars, mm-hmm. and it's just not talked about. And the only things that are talked about are really high-profile cases, mm-hmm. yeah, like this. I mean, because after all, the time, what the cash and crews in 26 different countries got more than $40 million. Yeah. Which is worth pointing out, if there's eight people, it's unlikely that they got everyone involved. Well, they must be having, they must get a cut is the only thing I can conjecture. Is and how do you even organize that? I mean, yeah. how do you, I mean, honor amongst thieves indeed, there must be, but how do you say, okay, I'm, I'm requesting that you go to an ATM and withdraw $100,000 and then you, what, turn over 25% to me, 50%, 75%? Why, once you've sort of hit that level, you would think they would just take the money and run. Yeah, but you got all these people involved, and I guess the, you know you you can contact them through you know in, encoded messages or such. And is it trackable? I don't know. Oh man, well I guess one was reportedly murdered two weeks ago. In the Dominican. Yeah. I guess we have Didn't our answer that. about how they keep honesty yeah. going. <laughs> Holy smokes! That was within their own ranks, I think. Okay, well, segueing from fear and panic, your bank. It, it, I'm not sure this actually 100% qualifies. Maybe it does in a way, but if you think about it, it's victimless, and I use that word, but perhaps not how it's really intended, but it's not as though the people who actually owned the bank accounts were out that much money. It's not like someone lost $40 million. I mean, I guess the insurance company lost $40 million. and the, the, That insured the bank. Correct. Yeah, sure. Yeah. National Bank of Ras al-Khamala. In the United Arab Emirates. It's just hard to feel that $40 million really matters to them. Right. I mean, they're building, they're building man-made islands in the mis- yeah. middle of the desert. <laughs> I think they have some cash to liquidate. Mm. But uh, I, I, may be, I may be making assumptions here. Speaking of cash to liquidate, Adobe has decided that you have plenty of that cash to liquidate <laughs> and that you should be sending it to them on a monthly basis for the rest of your life. Yeah, for so, as long as you ever want to use Photoshop. <laughs> and Photoshop is, of course, the gold standard. Adobe is a very remarkable company. It has a number of software applications that are the undisputed gold standard in their areas. Photoshop mm-hmm. There is arguably no real competitor to Photoshop. There mm-hmm. are alternatives given a particular use case, but Photoshop is Photoshop. Sure. And there's nothing else in its league. It, it is the image editor. It is the image <coughs> creation tool. Same thing really goes for Adobe Illustrator. Mm-hmm. And there are others that probably have a, a, a bit more in the way of competition, but Adobe InDesign ro- definitely rules the roost. Adobe Acrobat, mm-hmm. obviously. If Microsoft Office is necessary on any Office computer, then Adobe is necessary on any computer that is going to be used for any kind of creative work. 
one could certainly argue. So historically, of course, that came with a high price tag. If you want to buy the Adobe Creative Suite, you would pay 1200 some odd dollars, yeah. which is a, a chunk of change, particularly, say, if you're a graphic design student. So Adobe turned around and said, hey, what if we would give that to you for only $50? Or $30 if you're a student. Exactly. Even better. That's awesome. Of course, if you stop giving us $30 a month, then we will stop giving you yeah. Adobe Photoshop. Right. And this and just that's actually for the first year. This is also true. Mm -hmm. goes up after the first year. The price year. can go up. The price can go up, and of course part of the contract is that the price can go up at any time for any reason. Mm -hmm. It's probably worth noting as well. This is just indicative of the fact that the entire industry is moving towards what's called SaaS, Software as a Service, S-A-A-S, and more and more sassy sassy that sounds nicer but sass is how i call it and i mean, i don't know even know if there's a proper way to pronounce it but or software sass that's a kind of hops hmm. you that's very you have all these positive interpretations of sass but as <laughs> as it stands it's software as a service in other words you don't own the software not that you ever did it's worth noting that software licenses the, the agreement you know you click the agree button without reading it they all state you're not actually owning what you're agreeing to you're, it's a license you're right. renting that intellectual property but in the past you would pay your money and you would have it in perpetuity. Sure. It was yours to use. Until and you need to upgrade. Correct. And more and more so services are going towards subscriptions. Because mm -hmm. now the, with the advent of high-speed internet and the, the, and the cloud the cloud and how pervasive internet connections are, the majority of us are connected with bandwidth in some way, whether it's satellite or DSL in rural areas or really excellent bandwidth in, in metropolitan areas. It makes it really easy to make the arguments, hey, as long as you're connected, you can just pay us a little bit. We'll know that you're connected and that you're legit, and we'll give you whatever you want. Much more affordable, right? So subscription is the way things are going, and Adobe has jumped on that bandwagon in a big way because, in fact, they have, unlike other companies that are testing the waters of subscription services, like, say, Microsoft, mm -hmm. they have gone whole hog. They have said, you can continue to buy, you can continue to own, and we'll support Adobe mm -hmm. Creative Suite 6, but moving forward, everything is Creative Cloud. And if I, if I understand it correctly, Microsoft... Uh, was moving towards cloud only, but they threw pressure from the commercial or from the consumer market, mm -hmm. um, kind of went back and said, okay, you, if you want that, we'll keep doing it. Yes, for better or for worse, Microsoft doesn't really have a spine when it comes to backwards compatibility. They, uh, let's take Windows 8. Right. I don't know if you've ever seen Windows 8, but it now starts rather than this familiar start button mm. on the lower left, and you click on it, and you have a desktop and so mm -hmm. forth. It's now just a screen of tiles. Microsoft, w Windows 8, their quote-unquote metro interface just starts up, you know, a screen of bl blocks up mm. and down that you can arrange or use, somewhat similar to an iPhone starting screen, but mm. unique in its own way. And people get very confused and very angry about this because a lot of people are incredibly used to the Windows interface. Yeah. You know, they had a very difficult time adjusting to Windows Vista and Windows 7, even though it really changed things in very marginal ways. And Windows 8 was Microsoft's big foray into a different user interface. Well, people have freaked out, essentially. <laughs> and Microsoft is now backtracking, and an upcoming update for Windows is, in fact, going to take that away. They are going to make not make that the default. You can 
activate Windows Metro if you want to, but the default startup is going to be the familiar start button mm. and desktop that you are so used to. Mm. So it, Microsoft's always bent backwards to support backwards compatibility, and one of those things was that, yeah, you can still buy, buy Microsoft Office and download it or install it off a disk, as anyone would, but they're definitely suggesting, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that you go for their Office 365 subscription, which you pay them a monthly fee and you get both the Windows versions and the Mac versions as you know right. your one license will let you install it either on a Windows machine or a Mac OS machine without any questions asked which is pretty cool well I think one thing I read that um, it's inevitable to switch to the cloud and um, the, the one estimate was if not sooner within the next five years that's just going to be the way it is so this is kind of a transitional period and people can squawk and not accept change and they may some in many, many cases may have legitimate um, concerns, but yeah. but things are going to move forward. It's interesting because that is that is probably unfortunately true. I wonder what shape that will end up taking, though, because at, there's been a backlash against this. Uh, uh, there's been a petition that has been put forth that asks Adobe to continue to sell an actual physical copy that you were one perpetual license, you pay a lump sum and that's what you get. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons that there's a backlash is that when you're paying the monthly fee for the Creative Suite, which is all the Adobe products mm -hmm. in one lump, yeah, it's, you know, what, 30 bucks a month for a student or 50 mm -hmm. bucks a month for an average individual, which is great until you've paid it for a year and then you've already paid the worth that you yeah. would have paid before. Sure. So if you're going to keep the same software for three years, you're paying three times the amount you would have in the past. Right. Your, your right. cost goes way Long through the roof. Cost. And I seriously wonder if in the future what we're going to see is that cheaper cloud products will mm. be much more incentivizing to the average user than semi-expensive ones. I, th yeah. I, I mean, I think overall... Competitive think about pressure. Competitive pressure. And if you think about it, our willingness to pay for really expensive software has diminished with 99 cents apps, yeah. 599 apps. There, uh, Apple has really cut back on prices, just to take a, a big example. It's $20 for an operating system for them. It's $50 for, uh, for three, what used to be a $300 program, Motion, they're, they're one of their video editors. They've cut these prices significantly. Let's not forget open source software. It's true. It's I very was true. very impressed with GIMP. You know, if you want to talk about Photoshop. Have you used GIMP a fair bit? I haven't used it recently, mm -hmm. but yes. And I, I found you could do everything that Photoshop did. You had to access it in different ways. You just kind of had to retool your brain a little bit. But it was very functional. And it's possible that's what's going to happen. The slick... Re the, the slick, very user-friendly pieces of software might indeed go subscription only. Mm -hmm. And it certainly seems like everything is going to go that way. And in a way, it makes sense because even for me as a consultant, it's much easier to say, hey, you know, really you should have Photoshop for this problem. Mm. And you can just pay $50 and have it for a month. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to pay $50 after that. That's true. You can just cancel, right? And actually, you can, you can purchase a single application for $10 a month. Also very true. Mm -hmm. So there's arguments to be made for that yeah. because it's hard for me to turn around and tell a client, well, drop 1200 bucks and yeah, buy this. Yeah, you could just pay the $10 whenever you need it. 
Yeah, so th- there's definitely that, and then we'll just co- sort of get nickel and dime to death <laughs> as, as the years goes on. And then the people who are not willing to do that will probably end up contributing to a really vibrant open source community. Well, here's another advantage, though, to play the devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. I think if I was to lean one way or the other, I would be against you know the, per- you know, the perpetual payment mm-hmm. method. But um, when you do... Your your application is not being provided via the cloud. You actually download it. So every time you download it, you're always getting the current version. Sure. So that's a nice advantage. It is. They're updating it in the background all the time, and that's certainly an argument they make for it. Although the counterpoint to that would be what happens if you don't have an Internet connection, mm. right? And so how are they if they allow you to continue using it when you don't have an internet connection then that's going to make it very easy to pirate software you pay ten dollars once you download it you block it on your firewall and you're done hmm. you could have the entire adobe creative suite for fifty dollars hmm. yay it's christmas for me hmm. on the flip side if they make it so you have to be online it won't run if you can't phone home which by the way a lot of game makers are taking that approach a very popular games you've probably heard of world of warcraft mm-hmm. their publisher blizzard with diablo 3 and with starcraft 2 you cannot play the games if they are not online hmm. period for exactly that reason and they're trying to combat piracy. Hmm. That seems really unfortunate because as much as the argument might be made that you're always online, you're not always online, nor well, do I need to want to be. In this case, you're downloading the software, so I'm not sure how they'd get around that. It's they on, may not. It's on your computer. Historically, at least to date, barring them making a requirement that you always need to be online, so you're, you're, the software you download needs to phone home or it won't work. If mm-hmm. it doesn't find the server, it won't work. Barring that kind of requirement, there hasn't been any way to effectively fight piracy. Every other single piece of software has been very quickly, very efficiently cracked, hacked, and distributed for free. No questions asked. So those who are determined to do that would do that. On the flip side, they might just assume that most people won't really bother and allow you to keep using it offline, in which case, yeah, there's, there's a good argument to be made for that. And very possibly this will foster the open source community and drive a number of converts its way because a lot of people are very unhappy about this. Well, I think part of what they're, <clears throat> they're building into this is it's not just your access to the application, but it's a way to store, a way to sync your stuff, and and share files. That's true. All of this is baby steps towards the entire cloud c- concept because mm-hmm. with this you get 15 gigabytes of storage on their creative cloud to store your creative images that are uh, theoretically then accessible on any computer. Log in with your account. There they are. Although I have to say if you're working on really large files, that's definitely presuming you have very fast internet connections that mm. we definitely don't have here in Alaska. But it, these are baby steps towards the future, and it's interesting to reflect on the fact that I bet within five, six years, as is mentioned in these articles, it's not going to be a question. You'll have a subscription software. It's, it's going to be, yeah. and all your stuff is going to be on remote computers. And I suspect that we are then going to have a backlash against that. There are going to be a, a variety of ways to say no. You can either perhaps create your own cloud with your own servers and your own computers. Hmm. So you don't have to store these things on other people's servers, on another company's data center. Because right along with this, what there has to be an alternative. I there mean, does. Even, even right now, you know, when I'm working on files in Fair, Fairbanks home, um, I don't have a reliable internet no, connection. No, no, you can't. I have one, but 
it goes down all the time, and I wouldn't be able to transfer large files or any of that. No, absolutely not. And what's more, if you're a corporation and secrecy is important to you or security is important to you, you cannot trust that data to somebody else. Particularly, right along with this move to the cloud, it's interesting. Think about it. We have this move to the cloud, right? We also have a corresponding rise in incidences of someone compromising servers. We have an international attempts to hack one another's computers. We've got all sorts of stuff going on. So right along with, with a, a rise in, in storing things in the cloud, we have a rise with hacking cloud accounts. Two years ago, I did not drill password security into each and every single one of my clients, and now that's pretty much all I do. <laughs> I mean, seriously, people, people ask me now, what should I do? What should I do with my password? Is it okay if I use the same password on this account? And I say, Act, n- no. <laughs> I'm sorry. It used to be you could. Not anymore. You will get hacked, and you will wish that you didn't have to change every single password because you use the same one in all of them. All right. It's, it's a semi-grim scenario, and there will doubtless be ways around that. Well, would this be an appropriate time for us to announce the launch of a Michael and Paul Cloud Services. So for five ninety nine a month, mm-hmm. you can get our advice streamed to you mm-hmm. at any time, day yeah. and night. Is that what we're thinking, yeah, Paul? Yeah, even when you don't want it. Right. It's just a perpetual loop in the background. It's always there. We will observe when you. When you don't need it. And we will tell you what you should be doing when you're doing it. Change your password. I, are you sure you want to take that left? I'm pretty sure it's faster to go there if you go straight. Right. Yeah. That, that's a really good idea, the perpetual life advice stream. And this is an appropriate time to end our fear and panic. <laughs> when we've managed to get people to that fever pitch. Absolutely. No! No! <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of going to the cloud and Microsoft, Bill Gates recently gave – we just we just talked about the backlash on the creative cloud. No, Paul? Paul's waving at me. He thinks we should talk about what's the fact that people are unhappy about this. I did. I just said people are unhappy. You don't listen to me, do you? No, I try not to. You're on the radio with me. You're supposed to listen to what I say. You're the only person I can trust on to actually do this. We can formalize it. There has been a backlash against this. And there's yeah, petitions. petitions. Indeed. We petitions. didn't talk about this. We, we, we did talk about it. Petitions. We, could, we can talk about it in greater depth. Okay. Because if you go to change.org, and I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with change.org, but it is a very popular website to create petitions that other people can sign digitally, and they get sent off to the individual in question. And they are generally regarded by many in the Internet community as being useless because very rarely has a petition from change.org accomplished anything but this one has garnered already, in just a few hours, over 400,000 signatures. Yeah. And it is by developers and graphic designers who say, no, we as a company cannot afford to pay $1,200 a year to use your software. We have a five-year cycle where we upgrade our software, and we can afford that. But this is something that is literally, literally not sustainable at this time. I'd like to quote the, one of the... People that organized this, Derek uh, Schofstall of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He's a photographer, college student. He says, quote, due to the nature of the upgrade at gunpoint, I love that, (laughs) nature of the change and the forced renting of software at prices that could be jacked up at any time, I will not continue with the Adobe brand. 
Hmm. He also claims that this is really tough on small businesses. I'm sure that is true. I mean, it is. If I had to pay $50 a month, that would be a very significant addition to my bottom line. But here's the thing. It is kind of a gun to his head. And you can say all you want that you won't do something when you have a gun to your head, but you will probably do it or you'll be dead. Well, I and think in this case, it's happening very quickly too. You know, well, we talked about this may be inevitable, but but it may not have to happen now. If you are a graphic designer, if you work in the industry in any way, you have to use Adobe products. That's just just to be compatible just, with your just your competitors be, and your exactly. your, your and people granted, that you work with. Yeah, granted, right now at least you can still buy Adobe Creative Suite six, which is not subscription only. And Adobe has said they're going to continue to support it, but they're not going to continue to update it, which in the software world means that in about a year and a half to two years from now, it shall no longer work on the newest computers. Right. Maybe longer than that, maybe four years. But it still means that it's obsolete as of now, and within probably four years is better. Within four years, it will no longer be an option. What will your company do then? You will get, you will subscribe to the Adobe Creative Suite. I guarantee it. It is not an option. Unless the most amazing competitor arises, you are, you literally have a gun to your head, which is why Adobe feels like they can do this. They have a monopoly, a very effective monopoly. It is not a monopoly born of anything other than quality, really. Photoshop is a remarkable product. And it has complete market saturation. GIMP is an alternative, mm-hmm. but if you're a graphic design house and you're sending it to a print house and you're dealing with other graphic designers, much as if as an office manager might have to use Microsoft Word, I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. Photoshop is your only choice. Hmm. Well, I think it depends on the job. You know, Absolutely. If you're sending a piece that needs to be editable by another person, yeah, that's one thing. But if you're sending something to a print shop, it's just a matter of ch- selecting a file type. So, I mean, you, you could come up with your end product using open source software and and end up with the end result. You could, but you would have to be willing to work. You'd, you would have to be technologically savvy to make sure the file type you send them is formatted in a way mm-hmm. they can understand. And this might seem obvious, but as an example, I work with newspapers where they have to use a certain product so they can send that file type to their publisher. And they are not technologically competent. Now, competent is the wrong word, but they are not technologically advanced enough to use anything else. They would not be able to use some sort of alternative program and format that in a specific file format and send it off. They, they can use what they've got, they can save it, and they can send it, and that's well, it. There'll be a great incentive for these things to be developed, I would predict. It's true. Uh, if we were to have guessed five years ago where things were going, what we should have guessed is it would all be the same but bigger and faster, and we would have been right. Yeah. So who knows what will actually happen in five years. That includes probably Bill Gates, who perhaps has has had many visions, some of them successful, many of them not. There's a really interesting interview on CBS, CBS 60 Minutes, very recently, in the past week, where he was asked a variety of questions about the iPad, about Steve Jobs, about where he sees Microsoft going. And he was very candid. He was very open. Steve Jobs has gotten to be uh, a very interesting interviewee in the past few years. And he's not nearly as full of marketing speak as he was in perhaps the 90s. And he's, he's very open and honest about what is going on. Well, Jobs surely isn't, but... 
No, it's <laughs> this is very true, Paul. Accurate observation. But when we get back, I, we're going to talk about what he had to say about Steve Jobs. He visited with him on his deathbed, and we're going to play an audio clip for you of that. I would also like to remind you that you can call into the show. You can share your opinions with us. And you can talk to us when we are ranting at you. And you can do that by texting me at 841-7368 or UGWANRENT which is very handy to know. Or you can email us a question at help at outofajam.net. You can also visit us at facebook.com slash outofajam. So again, that number is 841-7368. You give me your name and number, and I can give you a number to call in. We'd very much love to hear your opinion, as always. We will be right back after the break. You're listening to Radio Free Palmer, KVRF 89.5. If you'd like to get involved with community radio, contact us at RadioFreePalmer.org. This is your chance to invent community radio in Sutton, Butte, Chickaloon, Palmer, and the surrounding areas. Big Cabbage Radio! Well, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I know that I just want to look some more. And I won't be satisfied till there's nothing left that I haven't tried. For some people it's an easy choice, but for me there's a devil and an angel's voice. Well, I don't know what I am looking for, but I know that I just want to look some And we are back. So last week on CBS, 60 Minutes, Steve Jobs sat down and gave an interview. He's, he's talked about a variety of things, but one of the things that I found very interesting that he talked about was his relationship with Steve Jobs. And he, of course, had a fractious relationship with Jobs because they were competitors in an extreme sense. In many ways, Microsoft almost put Apple out of business. Apple sued Microsoft because they felt they had stolen a large amount of intellectual property. On the flip side, Microsoft was instrumental to the success of of, um, the Macintosh in its early days. Many people don't know this, but Microsoft Excel was first released on the Mac. Microsoft Office is a flagship Mac product that earns Microsoft billions of dollars per year. There has been a long history between the two companies of partnership and rivalry. And... I found it very interesting what he had to say when, when, he, when he visited him because, A, that means they reached out and talked to one another, and, B, they talked about the future. Mm-hmm. And I was going to play a video clip, and then, of course, my clip reloaded. Can I just add that I really hate Adobe Flash Player <laughs> for exactly this reason? You can find the perfect spot in your clip that you want to play. You can save it there. You can have your cursor all ready to play, and, and then it reloads the entire no. video because, because five minutes later, that's what has to happen. So it's, it's mm, I can't wait. Irritating. Fla- well, I can't wait for Flash to just go by the wayside, which is on its way. Uh, it's a pretty well-accepted fact that HTML5 is on its way. Paul, did you glean anything out of this interview? Well, I, I thought it was, you know, really kind of, it was warm and fuzzy, all right, I'll go ahead and say it. It's I mean, true. You know, it was nice to, to hear the compassion, you know, about him talking about his his peer. They're only a year apart in age, and 
you know, they, they both managed to create these empires that did great things. Mm-hmm. And, and um, there are not too many people on the planet that they could actually view each other as, you know, intellectual equals and, and success stories. Mm-hmm. So they had a really unique bond. It's true. And, you know, he also talked about the fact that there was a, a rivalry as far as the iPad goes. Because he asked, and I found this interesting, he was, he was candid about the fact. Microsoft has pointed out many times that they were the first to market with tablets. They were the first oh, people yeah. to, mm-hmm. to market yeah, tablets, to sell tablets. Apple. They, had, they were selling Windows software that was supposedly optimized for tablets. And I think it's really stuck on their craw to some degree that Apple turned around and released a tablet years later that is pretty much seen as the great new thing. Mm-hmm. And he he was candid in saying, well, you know, they took the parts together and they put them put them together in a way yeah. that succeeded, and that is not something that we managed to do. Jobs had the design kind of sense. Exactly. He's a guy no, he, he was not being melancholy, like, you know, oh, I've no, been chipped. It was very, you know, forward looking about, oh, we haven't really improved education with technology yet. You know, what do you think? Or, you know, he showed me the boat he was working on and talked about how he's looking forward uh, to. Uh, being on it, even though you know, we both knew there was a good chance that would happen. He knew that, but he went on ahead to build a boat. Sure. You know, <laughs> it, it, thinking about your potential mortality isn't very constructive. There was I found that line. the most interesting because whatever you feel about Bill Gates and whatever you feel about Steve Jobs, both of them are people who throughout their life have always attempted to continue to do something with their lives. Mm-hmm. Steve Jobs got kicked out of it. Steve Jobs from an early age tried to build a new business. He tried to find and fund new adventures. He got kicked out of Apple. He started a new company. He came back to Apple. And, and Bill Gates also from a very early age started Microsoft, brought Microsoft to this world, to a state of world domination, really. Mm-hmm. And then he left. And he went on to start these incredible nonprofits yeah. which do a, a um, vast amount of good in the world. The Gates Foundation mm-hmm. with Bill Melinda Gates does so much, and they do not rest on their laurels. They don't retire. They don't kick back. They're always looking forward, and if anything can be learned from people who change the world, I would say that would be it. Do not ever stop and pause and say, well, I'm too tired. I'm done. I think they are pretty admirable people. And as far as too tired and done, AT&T is discontinuing the Facebook phone after one month. That was good, Michael. Thank you. I like that Thank segue. You. Segway. Well, it's nice. interesting. I we didn't ever ever even report on the Facebook phone. <laughs> Facebook home. <laughs> well, you know I thought about that. I said, whoa, what's this? <laughs> and the reason Before is Before I knew about it, it's gone. <laughs> It was a big deal when it came out. It was on the news. It was on Facebook. <laughs> it was on. It, it, it was discussed everywhere. This is supposed to be a big deal. Facebook is trying to release a phone, except, of course, they were partnering with a, another hardware company. And Facebook Home was really more of an interface on existing hardware that tried to replace most of what you did with the Facebook interface first. Mm -hmm. So you would be able to launch applications and do things on your phone, but you would also see your status updates right there on the front screen immediately. You would call most people. Most of your contacts would show up as Facebook contacts. Facebook was foremost 
it was built on the assumption that you lived most of your time within Facebook and would want to do things at, from there as a springboard. Incredibly full of themselves. Yeah, I, th- thank you. I felt the same way. And, you know, I don't feel that I am the world's biggest Facebook detractor by any means. I feel it is very impressive in many ways. I feel it is a wonder of the world in a technological sense. You know, looking back, perhaps the wonders of the world that we build are not going to be giant buildings or harbors or or things like that. It is going to be technological feats. And Facebook is definitely a technological feat in many, many ways and a very useful one at that. But the hubris in assuming that we want to spend our lives in Facebook or that it is in any way designed and geared as a springboard for everything else that we do. Or my life is Facebook. Or my life is Facebook, which their ads to me implied. Because one of the ads had this really bored girl sitting at a family dinner and it showed her somehow having magical conversations with other more interesting friends while she got to avoid this boring dinner with the extended with family. With her family. Well, exactly. And I just thought, wow, you guys really missed boring the point. Boring family. So, Facebook. Boring. And so I also thought that they had missed the mark. I actually don't think that most people think that way. I don't think most people feel that way. I don't think most people use Facebook that way or will in the future. And I thought it would flop. And so I feel very egotistic and righteous. I know a lot of people won't use Facebook in the future. Period. Well, and that, you know, probably will be true in the long run. I think that there will be other tools for social media or other tools for social connection. As it stands right now, Facebook Home has been discontinued by AT&T after 30 days. After 30 days. Wow. Mm -hmm. Middle of April and they're gone. It's true. They were not what we would call a – actually, they are exactly what we would call a flash in the pan. What is the opposite of a flash in the pan? (laughs) Is – is it is it a a light in the pan? <laughs> what, where does that come from? I don't even know. Flash in the pan is you know when your 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 oil suddenly ignites, but not for long. I see. So what you really want is so grease in the pan. It would be more of a, a smoldering ashes <laughs> in the pan. So that's a good thing. <laughs> we may need to work on this expression. We'll get back to you on this a little one. bit. Speaking of cool technology that sounds awesome to me, which is not the Facebook home, so how about we say speaking of the opposite of flash in the pan, but the... the, Ooh, flash, though, involves light. It does involve light. They are now making wireless networks out of lasers. Laser. I want a laser in my house. This is so cool. It really is. What what does it do, Paul? Well, it actually broadcasts a signal instead of through... Uh, Ethernet cable via laser light. Low low intensity, low energy. So the photo for this thing, I'm glad you specified low energy because Mm -hmm. the photo for this really looks like something out of Terminator. (laughs) (laughs) It's just going to burn holes in you. It's the ceiling-mounted widget that has mm-hmm. multiple eyes that send out red laser beams that connect to yeah. other things. Yeah. It, it's impressive. So I guess these laser beams, they, it's a unit that you plug into your computer via a cable. Right. And then it shoots a laser beam. Optical cable. Mm-hmm. It shoots a laser beam to a receiving unit somewhere else, Correct. which then shoots a laser beam to another unit that is received at, say, your wireless router or your router or another computer. Yeah, actually, the, the, the uh, what do you say, the hub, the smart outlets, they're mm. called, mm. Um, actually has a wire connection to the device or your computers or your router. 
Exactly. Then it can be broadcast from so, there. So actually, any device that used this would then not be using your Wi-Fi network. Right. Is what's interesting. It would be wired until and, it gets to the router. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can you can fire well, other, up. right other devices if, you know anything on the network mm-hmm. wireless or not would be able to see your device but your device would not technically as far as as it was concerned it's not be wireless understanding this what this thing is right no, it's it's going wired exactly so the advantages Michael well, in terms it, of speed and such correct so it may not the the advantage to using this over a wireless network is absolutely speed you're connecting via cable from your computer to your little laser gun right mm-hmm. and your laser gun can transmit at a minimum of 1 gigabit per second so just to 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 draw a comparison your average fast wireless network goes at 50 megabits per second so the speed is is considerably greater and most wired networks today, their top speed is one gigabit per mm, second. I mean, mm-hmm. absolute max speed. So if I have a if I have a computer network where I'm transferring big files or I care about speed in any way, mm-hmm. but I don't want to be running cables left and right and up and down and through the walls and so on and so forth, this thing would be a real lifesaver. Right. I mount it up. I get maximum speed, probably better than a cable because there's very little degradation. It's a pure light beam of mm-hmm. energy zapping its way across space and time. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds really amazing. I really want one. And you get your comp- your you no know, degradation. You get the entirety of the speed they promise both ways. Yeah, and not have to invest in all the, the cable hookups and, and all that. Right. And you may just not be able to run a cable very easily without right. it being underfoot or whatever. This can mm-hmm. go along the ceiling, what have you. So there's definite advantages. And, in fact, and it's worth noting that one gigabit per second is the lowest speed. It can go up to... 8 gigabits per second, and then up to 10, 10 yeah. which is great. And it's really cheap. Yeah, the unit's $8,000 to yeah. provide 10 I gigabits per second. I mean, that's nothing to me. I, I, I spend Jump it every change. day on coffee. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's not a problem. So $7,000, you can get yourself a laser network. What kind of coffee are you drinking, guy? Um, well, I have in this. The coffee. It's a very special small coffee booth just off of Lazy Mountain, and you're only allowed in there if you give them a Wolverine pelt. <laughs> <laughs> unique in every way. No, it's true for a consumer. This is probably not too interesting, but as as expensive as seven thousand dollars seems for a larger business or a government building that is within many people's operating budget, and it would be. It would provide you with a wireless connection in places where you may need a wired connection from perspectives of speed. And so I think this is a herald of very exciting things to come. Yeah, so the, the optical cable goes to, to the device, mm-hmm. and then it broadcasts eight different beams. They're two millimeters in diameter each um, to these hubs. And then from there, you can hook up numerous devices. So and one, they're red. One device. Well, they, when they're setting it up... They use a visible red spectrum beam. Which is so cool. Yeah. I think they should just leave it on red. Yeah. That I, would be I, awesome. I, I totally agree. You can walk into a building and it'll be like one of those uh, bank beams. heists. Yeah, a like a bank heist. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, one day my office will be exactly like that. And speaking of what my office will have one day, there has been an uptick in the number of devices that are being reported by websites as having iOS 7 which we've reported as an April Fool's joke. Oh, yes, but, that's right. Um, is actually apparently real. <laughs> uh, iOS well. 7 is on the way, and we know this because 
it continues to be reported. Any browser that browses the Internet has to, well, doesn't have to, but generally tends to report what it is. And people are now paying close attention to the browsers that are visiting their websites because they can be clues as to what companies are up to. Mm. And apparently, one of the things that Apple is up to is the fact that there are uh, browsers that proclaim to be part of iOS 7 out there on the Internet. Mm. So no one knows exactly what that means or when it's coming. Apple hasn't indicated anything other than end of 2013 for new updates. Maybe it's not Apple. (laughs) Microsoft is now producing (laughs) iOS 7. They can't be sued because it's 7, not 6. That's right. It's Bill Gates at work again. (laughs) He's not even the CEO. He actually killed Steve Jobs in that last visit. (laughs) Probably. We're not sure it's an appropriate joke. But, but yeah, yes, iOS 7 is on the way. I feel it's worth mentioning because if the numbers are going higher, then perhaps there will be the, the, the... the what's the the approaching due date for iOS mm-hmm. seven is right around the corner. Pushing it forward. So you can start being even more unsure about whether or not you should actually buy your next iPhone because there might be something even newer right around the corner. <laughs> Generally it's, they announce these these big upgrades. Maybe we'll get a good deal. It's true. IPhone. It's true. So it's wha- going to be obsolete <laughs> in the next moment. So one of the things I wanted to mention, and we have a habit of running out of time before we get to the things I've always wanted to mention, was what to do if you have a hard drive and that hard drive is in a computer mm. and that computer is in a house and your house burns down. Mm. Sad. It is unfortunate. You've lost your house. That's lame. You've lost your computer. That's bad. And you may have the lost... Data. Everything that matters to you. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. And here's what really hurts is that you may have been doing your backups because you've been listening to us like a good person and you've been listening to our advice and taking it like a better person and you've been backing your stuff up like the best person would do. On the external hard drive that was next to the computer right. that burned. For only $80. <laughs> you should be doing this. But yes, what do you do when your entire building goes <laughs> Well, a client of mine faced that very recently. Mm-hmm. And they called and said, well, so I have this melted plastic hard drive box. What do I do? And so the first thing I did was call the company I partner with, which is Drive Savers. And Drive Savers specializes in data recovery. So to make it very obvious, first of all, there's nothing I can do and there's nothing you can do. Because if the hard drive case is damaged, if your drive cannot be hooked up to a computer and the computer doesn't recognize it, that means you need to crack the case open. Mm-hmm. And the minute you do that... The they me- use the jaws of life to get in well, there? Well, they use the jaws of hard drive life at the very <laughs> least, or at least the, the spell of hard drive undeath or, or something. Because the minute you crack that case open, you, you see the platter, which is just a little metal disc. Shiny. And very shiny. Tinky, too. If you tap it, it makes tinky sounds. And the tiniest of scratches, to give you an example, a, a smoke dust particle on the hard drive is about 50 nanometers high. Guess how high, guess the amount of space between the header that reads the drive and the drive itself it is. Guess the amount of air there. Just guess. A, a nanometer. Well, yeah, if you have to be right about these things, <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. Jeez. It is a nanometer. And so a, a dust, a particle of smoke is 50. So the hard drive head hits your particle of smoke. It's like slamming into the which, Mount by the Everest. way, yeah, it, exactly, which is half the size of a particle of dust, <laughs> which is a quarter of the size of a human hair follicle. 
So these people are really good at cleaning the drives, I'm guessing. Well, so they have a clean room. They have to pay thousands of dollars and have very, very expensive clean rooms where nothing can get in. And mm-hmm. they go in there in these hazmat suits mm-hmm. and they take apart your drive and they pull out your platter. But what happens if, if the platter is, is damaged? And so I actually called a representative of Drive Savers and asked them, and, and here's what they had to say as soon as I make it play. I think that all I do in, in life is have technological issues, which is ironic, really. It never fails. It doesn't, does it? Nope, not, not playing. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, we have done recoveries from hard drives and computer systems that have been involved in, in residential and commercial fires. <clears throat> this is certainly something that we can uh, uh, attempt a recovery on, mm-hmm. depending on the uh, overall condition of that drive. And is it possible even if the drive is warped, or does the platter still have to be in pretty good condition? Do you know what the scenario is there? Yeah, I mean, uh, the platters, of course, that is where the data is stored. We, we, yeah, we have, uh, we have done recoveries on some computers that have, um, you know, uh, completely melted, boy, completely melted down. So, yeah, in fact, we have pictures of that on our website. If you go to our website and see the, uh, some of the disasters that we've done recoveries on. That was um, impressive. I you know, that. The chances for recovery uh, is, is as unique as the uh, situation. If the drive has suffered any kind of water or smoke damage, obviously we're going to need to, uh, you know, we have a process of, of cleaning up and, and decontaminating that drive work on. But it is, it is completely feasible. And that's your answer, which I found fascinating. They can mm-hmm. actually clean the platter should they need to, mm-hmm. which is impressive. And... What do you think the price range is on this cleaning? I'm going to guess with all the um, controlled environment and suits and filtration systems, uh, other technologies, we're talking thousands probably. So you are talking for their, their non, non-expedited service. This has got to be like a commercial of a you know, not personal computing com- importance to be feasible, I'm guessing. Well, it is between $800 to $2,310. Well, less than I would have, th- would have thought. Yeah, and, hmm. you know, in all honesty, if these are priceless, a lot priceless family photos, it may, in fact, be worth it. And so True. I talked to him, and I tried to pin him down on, okay, well, what, what could you really expect? And... Many times, if you have simply a failed drive and you send it in, they will actually let you, uh, they'll give you a quote before they request that you pay. And I guess with drives that have been damaged by fire, the work is such that it's not the case. You send it in, you're going to have to pay. And so the expectation is is you should expect to pay the upper two-thirds of that price, mm-hmm. is what they mm-hmm. said. And it's not guaranteed you'll have to pay the max price, mm-hmm. but you may have to. Right. So be prepared. Mm. You might pay as low as 800 and, and you may not. Well, it depends on what they recover and how much work it takes. But you can. And so this is where we get to the fact that there's a, there's a much cheaper way to avoid that problem. And so if you have an $80 hard drive next to your computer plugged in, backing all your stuff up, that is great. Mm-hmm. You can then do two things. You can have another $80 drive that you swap in and out on a daily or monthly basis mm-hmm. or weekly basis, and you take off-site. 
and mm-hmm. store it somewhere else. You can store it at your place of work, store it at a friend's house, you can store it in a safety deposit, but you can mm-hmm. store it in your car. You could store it any number as so long as it is not in your house. And most backup software supports this. You can swap drives in and out all the time and just make that a matter of habit. So if, you could have both drives hooked up to the computer techno- uh, temporarily? Is that how it works? Well, you would, you'd unhook one drive and hook the other one up. Okay. So, you know, every morning when you go for work, perhaps you would unplug one drive, plug the other one in if you're very paranoid. And you would take that drive with you just as a matter. Same thing as, you know, if you're taking your wallet, for mm-hmm. example. The other thing you could do, though, is you could use an online backup service. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a fan of online backup services as your primary method of backup. But they are great if you don't want to deal with the hassle of swapping disks. And for a monthly fee of about $5 a month, you can store about 50 gigabytes of data off-site. So you could certainly, say, store your photos or things that are very important to you somewhere on the cloud and just have that be another layer of redundancy. Mm-hmm. And that would really be my recommendation. But should you be unfortunate to suffer a fire or a lightning strike or theft or something like that, vandalism, then chances are you can, in fact, still recover that data. Mm-hmm. Great. It is. It is. It's It's... So now, remember, I, I just recently got that little uh, Sony external drive. You know, mm-hmm. I've been backing up stuff from from school mainly, but also um, personal computing stuff. So if I want to keep, if I'm making changes to documents, adding documents, and I plug the hard drive in there, it's going to recognize the things that are already stored and tell me, you, uh, or maybe ask me, Right. Do you want to recopy those? And in which case you would not have to, so it would only r- copy the new things. Well, so as of 10.8 of mm-hmm. uh, my with Mountain Line, Time Machine, which is the backup software you should be using if mm. you have a Mac, there's, and there's no question about that. There, there are other pieces of backup software that are excellent. There are other things you can use as an addition, but I definitely would say as a default, basic first line of protection, hook up your drive and use Time Machine. As of 10.8 and up, Time Machine supports multiple drives, and you can swap drives in and out, and mm. yes, it will be able to detect that, okay, so yesterday we back, backed up XYZ, and even though you've hooked up a new drive today, I need to only back up A, B, and C, because that's what wasn't backed up yesterday. Hmm. Does that make sense? So now I've been using this for uh, not my home computer, mainly. Mm-hmm. So if I want to set it up for my home use, mm-hmm. then I have to activate uh, Time Machine. Correct. Okay. That's exactly right. And then every time I hook it up to my home machine, Time Machine will, will do some of the sorting. It will figure it all out. Mm-hmm. The, the, the catch is always, and this is what I have to mention people all the time, this is true if you're using Windows software or Mac software, remember that if you're using that drive for backup, whatever you store on that drive that is not also stored somewhere else is not backed up. Storing something on an external drive doesn't mean it's backed up. A backup is only a backup if it's a redundant copy. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. let's say you've got that one terabyte drive you bought. Mm-hmm. You carry it with you as a little wa- wallet hard drive, which mm-hmm. is awesome. And you put something on it at school. You bring this thing home. You hook it up to your computer. And Time Machine backs up everything on your computer. All right. Anything you've copied onto it at school isn't backed up unless you also put it on your home computer. Does that make sense? Unless you've got two copies of the same thing on different drives, it's not backed up. What do you mean by not backed up? I mean, well, having you're having a copy of what's on the the 
desktop sure, computer. Sure, sure. But, <clears throat> but isn't that a backup? Well, yeah. I mean, but if you have copied something at school from mm-hmm. your work computer, and uh, well, let's say you've copied it from a colleague's computer. Okay to your external hard drive and you bring it home and that drive also acts as your primary backup for your home machine. Mm-hmm. The copy of information that you have on that drive from your colleague's computer is the only copy that you possess. Okay. Should that external drive go belly up, which it is entirely oh, yeah, likely sure. to do, you will lose it. Okay. So it's not really a backup at that okay. point, right? I you see. don't have redundant copies. Although the, the original copy would be... Sure, on your college machine or whatever it is. Um, That's true. So you're saying that you should always have at least two redundant extra copies from the base computer. That's your basic level of safety. And then the added level of safety is have yet another copy that lives somewhere else that cannot be affected by natural disaster Mm -hmm. or unnatural disaster, (laughs) as the case may be. Yeah. That's, there's, you know, data safety is something that there are many layers of paranoia for. So the more important it is to you, the more paranoid you should be about it. Okay. That's, that's your helpful fear and panic <laughs> bottom line. We have other things we're going to hit, but we're not going to hit them this time. We're going to hit them next oh. week. It's true. We're, there's going to be no news abuse for not hitting it. I wanted to do the play-by-play. But I, that's true. We totally – oh, we we missed on that. Next week, you can look forward to a play-by-play of Michael Miller hunting monsters and avoiding yep. monsters. And Paul Morley will explain to you what is happening. What I'm, in, what I'm seeing. In riveting detail. <laughs> Totally riveting detail. Please, in the meantime, email us at help at outofajam.net or call us at 841-7368, and we will talk to you next week. See ya. The Grid. A digital frontier. I tried to picture clusters of information as they moved through the computer. What did they look like? Ships, motorcycles. Were the circuits like freeways? I kept dreaming of a world I thought I'd never see. And then, one day... <laughs>